It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, or you can turn on your device and find Joshua chapter 1. That is the sixth book of the Bible. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. So as you're turning there, I got a question. Any car people out there? Like, I mean, you like a brand, like you're a, you're a brand loyal customer to this kind of car. Any, so any car people out there? Like, you know, a few of you. Okay, I, I can't raise my hand, so I won't keep my hand down because I, I'm not loyal to any brand. Now, I, I do remember, though, growing up and entering into my teenage years and then getting excited about turning 15, 16 because I was going to get a, get a car, but I knew, I knew I did not want this kind of brand. Can anybody guess what this brand was? Ford. Yeah, Ford. It was. I did not want a Ford. Now, if you're a Ford person, that's okay. Uh, but, but in the 90s, uh, you, you, you really didn't want to buy a Ford. There were, there were a lot of acrostics out there that, that resembled what people thought of when they thought of a Ford. Like, for instance, found on road dead. Like, I, I didn't want to be on the road dead. Not with a car, I was, you, know, I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, there was no cell phones at that point, so it's not like I could call a tow truck, and so we lived in a rural part, and so I did not want to be on, on the road with a dead car. Uh, another one is fix or repair daily. I, I, I didn't know anything about a car. My dad was not a mechanic, and so I didn't want to fix or repair a car daily. And then I, have thought, so, I thought of some other acrostics that I thought I would just might share with you. Free or reduced dramatically. That, that could have been a Ford. In the 90s, what about failure on road daily? So it just it would just fail you on the road daily. Found on roadside deserted. Like, sure, if your Lexus was on the roadside, you're not going to desert that sucker. Somebody might want that Lexus. If it was a Ford in the 90s, they can have it. Here you go. <laughs> Flee or regret driving. So, so, so if you, you're on a used car lot, don't look at the Ford. Flee. Or if you don't, you'll regret driving it. And then I was just thinking about the, the idea that they actually had a car named a Pinto. You know, and I began to think about the word Pinto. Now, I grew up in the South, and every time I think of Pinto, I think of Pinto beans. I think, why would you name a car after a bean that tastes like dirt? Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're like, Josh, it's a horse. Well, no, duh. I found that out this week. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, Pinto's a horse. Like Mustang? Yeah. Pinto? <laughs> you say, Josh, why, why in the world did you bring up Ford? Because I just finished a book a couple of weeks ago entitled American Icon that, that charts the story of Ford's turnaround because they really did have a bad reputation for uh, actually a couple of decades. And so American Icon charts this, this comeback story. And it's actually one of the greatest comeback stories in American manufacturing history. And the turnaround was led by a man by the name of Alan Mulally. Now, Ford did something in 2006 that no other American car manufacturer had done up until that point. They went outside of the car industry to hire a CEO. And they hired Alan Mulally from Boeing. Now... In this book, the author, he talks about how uh, Malali was thinking uh, about the turnaround when he embarked on this journey. And here's what the author writes. Malali looked to Ford's past for inspiration. As he learned more about the automaker's illustrious history, 
he became convinced that the key to Ford's future was a return to the principles that had made it so successful in the early days. So in order to lead Ford to, towards the future, Mullally was actually going to look back towards the past. Now, one day, Mullally, he was digging through Ford's archives, and he came, a, came across this old advertisement that, that Henry Ford, who had started the company, he had, he had taken out on a Saturday evening post, and it was, it was dated January 24th, 1925, and this was the advertisement that he'd found, opening the highways to all mankind. And he, he read that advertisement, and that advertisement gave him what he needed to craft a vision for the future, a future that would actually honor the past, but in honoring the past would not hinder uh, the future. Now, before I give you the main point, I want to touch on at least five effects that our past can have on us. The first effect is that our past can punish our ability to have a future. Maybe some of you, you're sitting out here today, and you don't even have an ability to have a future because every single day you are punishing yourself because of what you did in the past. And so you're constantly punishing yourself, and so you don't even have an ability to have a future. Some are paralyzed from moving towards the future. And maybe you are paralyzed because of fear. Maybe you don't want to make the same mistake. Uh, maybe you don't want to see the same thing happen that has happened, and so you are paralyzed from moving forward. Our past can prevent us from believing we even have a future. Maybe you are believing that you're just not good enough. Maybe that's what somebody said to you growing up. Uh, maybe some, you know, somebody said that you'll never make a difference. Or somebody said, well, the church will never bounce back, whatever it may be. And, and it prevents you from moving into the future. Our past can also prepare us for a future, even, even if you have a tainted past. You can learn from your past. And it will help you prepare for your future. Like one of the things that I have learned about my past, and, I, and I, I've written an article years ago entitled, The Gracious Breaking of God. There were some things that, that I went through that were extremely hurtful, dark periods of my life, where at, at the beginning I wanted to blame somebody, but then I began to own what I could, and I saw it as the gracious breaking of God, and it prepared me for the future. Like I am looking at how God in his sovereignty called me to Northland. And only God could bring the man that he has broken in the past, taught in the past, so that we could together embrace what God has for us as a people in the future. But he prepares. And then our past can propel us towards our future. It could be the diving board by which we seize what God has for us in our future. Now, truthfully, for many individuals, groups, teams, organizations, and yes, even churches, it is much, it's much easier to talk about moving towards the future, but, but, it's, but, it's, but it's hard to do. And I, I know even for Northland, because I do want to apply this corporately, as well as individually, but what lies in front of us, it's easier to say, well, let's seize the future than to actually seize the future. But what we will learn this morning is how we, as a church body, can seize what God has for us. Now, with that said, let me give you the main idea. If you're ready for the main idea, say you're ready. Here it is. To honor the past without hindering the future, we must let God continue what he started. Now, notice I said let God continue. 
We, we, we got to look to him. This is what you've started, God. You, you've been sovereign all along. Like you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So what you started, we're going to let you continue. Now, in the biblical context of our passage today in Joshua 1, what had God started? Well, that's a really good question. Let me tell you what God had started. Now, you actually have to rewind 400 years from Joshua 1 to see what he had started. And so if you rewind over 400 years, you'll find a man by the name of Abram. And we've talked about Abram, and many of us know him as Abraham, Father Abraham. And God had called Abraham out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's going to take him west to a land that he is promising him. And with Abraham, God promises that you're going to have many descendants. Your descendants is actually going to number the stars in the sky. In fact, Abraham, you're not even going to be able to count the number of descendants that you will have that come after you. And on top of that, Abraham, I'm going to take all of those descendants and I'm going to make them into a mighty nation. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make them into a great name. And through you and your descendants, all families, all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every language will be blessed because I have blessed you. So that happened over 400 years prior to Joshua 1. So what, what Joshua 1 is all about is entering into that land of promise that over 400 years ago God had told Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. But then if you would just rewind about 40 years prior to Joshua 1, God had, he had started that through sending a deliverer by the name of Moses. And so Moses was a Hebrew, an Israelite, grew up in Pharaoh's house. So he grew up as an Egyptian, although he was a Hebrew. You could go back into Exodus and you can read that. Well, he kills an Egyptian. He has to flee because he is on the Egyptians' most wanted list. And so he flees into the wilderness, stays there 40 years. But then God calls him and says, hey, I'm going to send you back to Egypt so that you can be a rescuer, a deliverer for my people for their cry has come up, and it's time now to deliver them, and it's time to take them to the land of promise. So that happened 40 years earlier from Joshua 1. So what, what God is telling Joshua now about moving into the future is actually connected to the past. So the best way to honor what God had promised Abraham, the best way to honor what God was doing through Moses was for them to enter into the land that God had promised them. Now, in our contemporary context, you might be asking, Josh, what has God started with us? Well, that's a fabulous question. And I don't think we need uh, to forget that what God started with Abraham, he's actually continuing today in the 21st century. Yes, in 2023. You say, how is that possible? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, in the New Testament, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So those who have faith in Jesus as Savior and as King, as, as Lord, uh, they are children of Abraham. So if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you are, I am, a child of Abraham. So thousands of years ago, when God called Abraham from the Ur of the Chaldeans and to now, 2023, Abraham, what God has started with Abraham is continuing even today. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Well, who's a Gentile? Well, if you are not a Jew, you are a? By faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. What was the gospel? That all nations would be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So God is continuing 
here in and through Northland what he started long ago with Abraham. Now, in, ad in addition, similar to Joshua, if we rewind about 50 years ago, what you will find is a small group of people uh, living in the North Orlando area. They were, they were actually attending a church south of Orlando. And they're like, you know what, we, we, we would love to see that kind of church planted up here. So about 11 individuals, God impressed upon those 11 individuals to actually see a church that was focused on biblical teaching, authentic community, and contextualized ministry. What's contextualized ministry? The ability to reach people far from Jesus in the context in which you are planted. So they wanted, wanted to see that kind of church planted in the North Orlando metro area. Thus is why we are called Northland Church. And so... What God started with Abraham and what God started with those 11 individuals 50 years ago, he is continuing today in our midst. So with that background, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, Joshua 1, verses 1 through 11. So after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is it's a little morbid. And he comes right out and says it. He's like, come on, Lord, can you be a little bit more sensitive than that? But now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey. Everybody say it. Oh, say it like you mean it. Oh, oh, not, not the sum of the law. All of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Just notice that God defines what success is and it is contingent upon what you do with his word. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you're, you'll cross over the Jordan here to go and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you are glorified. Jesus, our King, I pray that you would be the center of this message, that you would be the center of our lives, that you would be the center of our church and Spirit, I pray that you would begin to move in our midst, move even online in our, on our, 
online or in our online community and that you would, would shape and mold us more into your image. I pray for those who are far from Jesus, who have never repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray, Spirit, you would draw people, men, women, boys, and girls, you would draw people to Jesus' beauty. You would draw them to his love, his grace, and his ability and power to make all things new, including them. And we pray that in your name, our King, and it's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so three things the Israelites needed to do, three things we're going to need to do today in order for us to let God continue what he started long ago. And in letting God continue what he started long ago, we will be honoring the past without hindering the future. Number one, to let God continue what he started, we must let go. Everybody say let go. All right, let me ask my next gen people. Will you say let go? Let go. Let go. All right, so they're here on the front row. Will you give it up for our next gen? I love them. I get to hang out with them every Sunday night. But to let God continue what he started, we must let go. God says to, Mo, to, to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, he just comes right out of the gate and says that. And this is a monumental transitional statement. I mean, Moses was a big deal. I mean, he's on the weedy boxes. Like, so all of the weedy boxes has Moses and his staff. Also, he's on all of the Israelite commercials. Like, even when they got tired of manna and they had to do a, a, a campaign to kind of, you know, squelch all of the complaining and grumbling, they, they used Moses to say, man, manna's good. I eat manna every morning. I'm so grateful. I mean, Moses is a, that really didn't happen. I'm just, you know, just inferring all that. I mean, Moses is a big deal. They've, in fact, if you read Deuteronomy 34, the Israelites, they had grieved for Moses 30 days. That was the allotted period, so they had been grieving for Moses. I mean, that's how much of a big deal he was. I mean, think about it. Moses was Israel's deliverer, their God, their provider, their intercessor, and their leader. And this generation, that's all they have known. They have, they have known nothing but Moses and his leadership. Now, this season, this era is over and there seems to at least been a hesitation on the people, maybe even a hesitation on Joshua. I mean, think about it. I mean, if Joshua, if he entered into this realm of wanting to compare himself to Moses, I mean, he could hesitate. I mean, he didn't even have the fraction of the resume that Moses did. I mean, Joshua, in fact, God refers to Joshua as the son of none. I mean, what does that mean? None was, was his father's name. I, I could imagine all of the, the fun you could have had with his father's name. Like, what's your father's name, Joshua? None. None your business. <laughs> so, anyways, but he's referred to as the son of none. Moses is referred to as God's servant. And then also, Joshua, he didn't have a burning bush experience. Joshua didn't have a staff that turned into a snake that ate other snakes. He didn't have a staff that could strike 
a rock, a rock and water flow from it. Uh, Joshua didn't get a glimpse of, of God's glory and seeing God's shoulder blade on, on the mountain. Uh, Joshua, uh, he, he didn't have quite the relationship with, with the Lord that Moses had. In fact, in Exodus 33, uh, we read that the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a friend speaks with another. I mean, so he didn't even have a fraction of the resume. And then also you do have to keep in mind that not only have, have these people lost Moses, but they had lost an entire generation. Because you have to realize that years earlier in the wilderness because of unbelief, that all of those people that were 21 years and older would not go into the promised land. Only those 20 years of age and younger, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, would go into the promised land. So they have lost moms and dads. They have lost grandpa and grandmas, aunts and uncles, and older brothers and sisters. And what God is telling Joshua, the past is in the past. The past is dead. Moses is dead. And it's now time to let go and let me. Now, one of my favorite sports movies of all times is Miracle. And it's the story of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team that won the gold medal. Now, there's this scene that actually strikes me every time I watch the movie. And it's where Team USA plays an exhibition match against Norway. And they were supposed to win uh, this exhibition match. And in fact, they were supposed to dominate the game, but they end up tying. And so Coach Herb Brooks, he is not a happy coach at all. He's, he's quite ticked off. He's livid. So after the game, he has all of the team line up on the line, and they start doing herbies, which were sprints for hockey players. This goes on for quite some time. I mean, the, the hockey players, they are huffing, puffing. Some of them are vomiting. The, the actual uh, uh, the arena manager, he's like, man, I'm, I'm ready to close down. We're going to turn out the lights. We're going to lock the doors. And oh, Herb Brooks and his smart, smart mouth says, well, leave the keys and I'll lock up. I mean, he's not done with his players. And it goes on and on. Well, eventually, the assistant coach and the team doctor kind of say, they, they, they kind of had enough. And they're like, Herb. It's enough. And there's this, there's this silence that takes over the hockey rink. And in that silence, this happens. And roll the clip. Michael Ruzioni. Went through Massachusetts. you play for? Play for the United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. I love that scene. And if you've seen the movie, you, you also know that earlier in practices, Coach Herb would say, who do you play for? And these hockey players would say, I play for the University of Minnesota. I play for the University of Wisconsin. I play for the University of Boston. And so you have to understand that all of these individual hockey players, uh, they were actually college students, which was how they did things back then. And so now you have all of these individual hockey players coming together on Team USA, but they're identifying with their past. 
and they're letting their past reign over them in the present. And what Coach, what Coach Herb, Herb Brooks was trying to teach them is that it, the best way to honor your past is actually to seize the future and what lies in front of you. And, and to do that, he, what he was telling them is that the name on the back of the jersey doesn't mean as much as the name on the front of the jersey. The team that you once played for is not as important as the team you do play for. The coaches that, that you are wanting to honor and that you love, they're not as important as the coach that you're playing for now. Your roles and responsibilities in the past, they're, they're not as important as what your role and responsibility are now in the present. And so the best way, and this is what the coach was telling them, the best way to honor the past, the best way to honor the schools and their families and their past coaches was to seize what was in front of them, to move towards the goal of becoming an Olympian and a gold medalist. That, that, was, that was what was in front of them. So they needed to let go so that they could seize what was in front of them. Let me ask you, spouse, Parent, young person, what do, you, what do you need to let go of? Hey, Northland, maybe some of your longtime Northlanders, maybe you've been here five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, 30 years, 40 years. What do you need to let go of in order to seize the future? What have you not let go of? Have you not let go of a leader? Have you not let go of a person? Have you not let go of a season? Have you not let go of a situation? Have you not let go of a program, a preference? Have you not let go of this feeling uh, that, that you want to recapture? You're just trying to relive this feeling that you had 20 years ago? And it just, it just seems like it just never, you, you can never capture it? Do you need to let go of an explanation? Well, if, if, I, get a, if I get a good explanation, under you just need to let that go. Because even if you got that explanation, you'll want to argue. You need to let it go. Maybe, maybe you need to let go of an apology. Well, hey, they owe me an apology. Maybe they will never apologize to you. Will you let it go? Well, you let your ex go, and that ex could be anything. It could actually be your former spouse, your ex-spouse, or whatever ex is in your life that you have not let go of that holds you back from pursuing what God wants for you. Will you let go of the reason why you are angry, bitter, resentful, negative, divisive? Will you let go of the reason why you are a jerk? Well, if they wouldn't have done that to me, let it go. Well, if my spouse would, let it go. What does God need to declare to you today? Does he need to declare, you can't go back? Does he need to declare, you're not getting a mulligan? Does he need to declare, that's dead. They're gone. They've moved on. I don't know what he needs to declare to you, but Joshua needed God to declare to him, Moses is dead. It's your time now. It's our time. It's our time to show up and to let God. So that's number one. Number two, to let God continue what he started, we must listen up. Everybody say, listen up. All right, so you got to come in for this. We got we to listen up. So what God tells Joshua can be broken down into two categories. The first category is promises. So let's look at these promises that God made Joshua. I will give you every place where you set your foot. No one will be able to stand against you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, this is what I want to do for you. This is what I want to do for the Israelites. I want to give you. In fact, not just I want, I will 
This is a promise. I will give you everywhere. Your little footsteps, I'm going to give it to you. And then you also have to remember years ago, Moses, had, Moses he had sent 12 spies out into the promised land. And they came back. Ten of them said, man, you ought to see the fruit. Man, we, ate, we brought some back. This fruit is amazing. I mean, unbelievable. It's scrumptious. It's delicious. It makes your taste buds dance. But we can't go. Because the people are too big, too dangerous, and we get hurt. And then the other spies, Joshua and Caleb, were like, no, 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 let's do it. Well, we know who's in the land. And so here, hey, here's what God's saying. No one, not even the giants, will be able to stand against you in the land. I'll defeat them. And then just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll, I'll be there. My presence will go with you. Go before you. Go behind you. It will surround you. My presence. That's, that's my promises. Now, I think it's also important to note that this promised land God wanted to give them, it was going to be the place in which God's glory dwelt and God's glory was made known to the nations. And so it was this land that was flowing with milk and honey, but the, but the centerpiece of the land was always God's glory. So God wanted to do this for his people that he might be glorified among the nations. And so what is our promised land, Josh? Our promised land is the life in which Jesus purchased for us through his death and resurrection. An abundant life, a flourishing life, a good life, a beautiful life, an ordered life, a righteous life, a life of cleanliness and purity and holiness. And so when we are pursuing that life where he is the center, he's going to make himself known. And so what we know, and here's what we know about the New Testament teaching on this is that we'll never fully realize the promised land until Jesus comes back a second time and you read this in Hebrews where when he comes back there will be this eternal rest so right now we're in the enemy territory we are in the promised land and we are at battle but these are promises that God has made to us today I'm with you I'll fight for you don't be dismayed. I'm here with you, which leads me to the second thing that God tells Joshua. And it's the second category there, commands. So he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And you know how many times he tells Joshua that? Three different times. So verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. So what, what, what does strong and courageous mean? Well, it means to be brave, confident, bold, determined, but why would God have to tell Joshua this three times? Because something probably was going on in his heart that made him afraid. Like, can I really do this? I'm leading a people where Moses didn't. There's two million people, God. That's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknowns. I mean, I just don't know. And so God tells him three different times, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. Did I not tell you be strong and courageous? And then he says, be careful to obey all the law. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left. Like, make sure it's the center. And then he says, keep this book. Meditate on it day and night. I love that word, meditate. It actually was used of describing the cow's digestive process. 
So now I actually grew up on my granddad's farm where he owned a lot of cows. Now I didn't know anything about this because although I lived on a farm, I, I, I just didn't know very, the only thing I did with the cows is I shot them with the BB gun occasionally. And then I found out that you're not supposed to do that because your granddad would get mad. And so, uh, so I had to stop that. But, but this word meditate, it describes this process where you chew on it. You swallow it, you digest it, you regurgitate it, you chew on it some more, you swallow it, you digest it, you regurgitate it, you chew it, chew on it some more, you swallow it, you digest it. That's what cows do. So they get all the nutrients out of what they're eating. And so what God is telling Joshua, I want you to meditate on my law. I, I want you to chew it. I want you to swallow it. I want you to begin to process it and digest it. I want it to come up, and I want you to chew it on it some more. It's one of the things I love about God's Word. I truly love God's Word, and I hope you see that. And it's not just a corporate love that I have for God's Word. I have a personal love for God's Word. Because weekly, weekly, I'm sitting with my Bible, and I'm sitting with my iPad, and I'm taking notes of what I'm reading devotionally. In fact, I have devotional books for when I was a teenager. And one of the fascinating things that I can see is reading the same passage, like today that I was reading 20 years ago, and to see what God was teaching me then. And even like this past week, I was reading Titus, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. Because Paul's writing to Titus and he tells him, hey, I want you to teach the older men this. I want you to teach the older women this. I want you to teach the young men this, the young women this. I want you to teach the workers this. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. But, but what Paul is saying, I want you to specialize the discipleship process for, for these people that are in different seasons of life. I'm like, oh man, and that's just regurgitating God's word. Chewing on it, swallowing it, digesting it. And that's what they were supposed to do as they moved into the promised land. Then he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because this is what I have promised. So everything, note this, everything revolves. His promises, his commands revolve around God's word. So this past week, I was teaching Theology 101 to our staff. It was a mandatory staff meeting, and for the next three weeks, we will be teaching major doctrines of the church of what we believe. This past week, I was teaching on the Bible and on God, the Trinity. But I unpacked a little bit of Psalm 19. I'm going to put, put the passage on the screen behind me. But, but listen to Psalm 19, verse 7. This is what David says about God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Now, living here in Florida, you know all about refreshing the soul, because maybe you've been working in the yard for a few hours, and it was, and it's the summer, and it's very hot and humid, and so you go in, and you make a, a, a nice big tall glass of ice water, and you begin to drink that sucker, you're like, whoo, man, it's good. That's the word. It's refreshing. And, and then the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. Some of you, you're like, man, I just wish I could be a little bit wiser. I wish I could be a little bit smarter. I'm telling you, I'm tired of making these boneheaded decisions. Well, here's what the Word says. The Word says if you get in it and you begin to meditate on it, you chew it, you swallow it, you process it, you regurgitate it, guess what? You'll be a little bit wiser. And maybe you need to be a little bit more uh, of a wiser parent. A wiser spouse, a wiser worker. Hey, get into God's word and make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
I tell you, over the years, anytime I meet a Christian who's unhappy, anytime I meet a Christian who's complaining and grumbling, anytime I meet a divisive believer, you know what I immediately think, and I do, I immediately think this. When's the last time you spent time with God and His Word? Because here's what, here's, what, here's what it says. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Listen, it's hard not to be joyful if you spend time with God. And then the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Maybe some of you are in a dark place. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. God's word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. That's why I told the search team and the governing elders when I got here 10 months ago, I said, listen, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a, a lot that I could unpack coming here. But here's what I do know. I know that Jesus needs to be the center, and Jesus will take us where we need to go, and Jesus will shine the light in the dark places. So I'm just going to focus on Jesus. He's our light. And then... The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them righteous. Like, here's the thing. If you read God's Word, it's not going to lead you further away from Him. It's going to lead you closer to Him. They're righteous. They're going to make, you, make sure that you're, you're right with Him. And then they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Oh, listen. There's nothing worth more than the worth of God's word in our life. And there's nothing sweeter. There's no dessert sweet enough that can take the sweetness from God's word. And that is what they are to focus on. That's what Joshua is to focus on. But, but don't miss this. When you take God's promises and you take his commands and you put them together, here's what you get. To experience God's promise, we must execute God's plan. So, he, so these are all the promises that God was making to Israel. But if they were to realize the promises in the land of promise, they need to execute God's word. I think one of the reasons why, why many churches in America... They no longer operate in the power of the Spirit of God is because they are operating in their own power, not executing the plan of God via His Word. And so we're no longer expectant. We're no longer going, God, we want to see you show up. God, we want to see you do miraculous things. We want to see you do amazing things because we're not willing to execute His plan revealed in his word. Well, Joshua, what does God want to do today? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Let me tell you what he wants to do. And I'm, I'm about to rattle off a list. You can tell your neighbor. He's about to rattle off a list. Here it is. This is one of Josh's lengthy lists right here. Let me give you a lengthy list. Here's what God wants to do today. These are promises that he wants to fulfill today. He wants to expose darkness. He wants to defeat Satan. He wants to save sinners. He wants to forgive sin. He wants to clean messes. He wants to transform lives. He wants to purify love. He wants to cleanse our words. He wants to show grace. He wants to give generously. He wants to change hearts. He wants to mend hurt. He wants to repair images. He wants to enlighten minds. He wants to calm souls. He wants to deliver addicts. He wants to break chains. He wants to free captives. He wants to heal 
marriages. He wants to restore friendships. He wants to reconcile races. He wants to rewrite stories. He wants to redeem pain. He wants to overcome tragedies. He wants to give purpose. He wants to deal hope. He wants to provide direction. He wants to teach life skills. He wants to perform miracles. He wants to clothe the naked. He wants to encourage the depressed. He wants to exhort the downtrodden. And he wants to issue a new identity to every single person on planet Earth, transferring them from the domain of darkness into the glorious light of his beloved son, King Jesus. That's what God wants to do. But if we're going to experience it, church, we got to be people of his word. That's why I love Matthew 4, when Satan was tempting Jesus. And he's like, all right, Jesus, if you, who you say you are, well, you're so hungry because you've been fasting all this time. Here's some stones. Won't you take some of those stones and turn them into bread so that you can eat and satisfy your little belly? And here's what Jesus says. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So here's our king saying that God's word is more satisfying and more delicious and more sustaining in our life than bread is. preaching a little bit today. So guess what, church? Northland Church, we are not people of opinions. We're not people of preferences. We're not people of feelings. We're people of his word. Not to say there's not room for preferences or opinions or feelings, but we're people of his word. Everybody all right? All right. Last point, and then we go baptize some people. All right. So to let God continue what he started, we must load up. So we must let go. We must listen up. And then what was the third one? It was load up. Now, Joni says this all the time. She's, she tells the family, time to load up. Load up. That means get your butt ready. Mama is leaving the house. Now, so Joshua, he tells everybody, all the leaders, Go and tell the people, get ready to cross the Jordan. Get your provisions ready. And then in chapter 3 of Joshua, verse 5, he tells them to consecrate themselves. So let's look at those th three things. Load up your people. So probably 2 million people. So what's happening is, all right, think, think about it. 2 million people, you, you've been settled here for quite some time. All right, make sure you got little Johnny because we're leaving in three days and we're crossing the Jordan. And if you cross the Jordan without little Johnny... Little Johnny's going to be left. So make sure you got little Johnny. And so make sure everybody, everybody's ready. You got everybody ready to leave. Now, I also want you to know some people are not going to make the trip. Some people are going to stay on the east side of the Jordan because they have settled for the land that Moses gave them, not the land God wanted to give them. So there will be people that don't make the trip. Now, again, I'm not sitting there saying that something's bad with people, particularly here, that won't make the trip. But I just want you to know, some people won't make the trip. And it will also cause maybe some friction of, of going, man, i got to leave a friend. i got to leave a family member because they're settling, but I don't want to settle. And so just know that there will be some people that don't make the trip. Now, I want to make sure that we all load up, though. That, that's, what, that's what I want to make sure of. It's what I want the staff, the governing elders to make sure of, sure of that, that we make sure 
that as many people who want to make the trip, make the trip. Even those. Northlanders, you're online. We want you to make the trip. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Because you're like anybody else who, who are about to load up. Where are we going and what's going to happen? Okay, I get it. Here's what I, here's what I want to give you. I'm inviting you into the trip that, that we believe as, as a leadership God is leading us to. And this is the kind of church we desire to be. And here it is. And this is what we are inviting you to be part of. We want to be a God-glorifying, a Christ-centered, a Spirit-empowered, a mission-driven, a family-oriented, a multi-ethnic, a cross-generational, a Bible-believing, a culturally relevant, a counter-culture, a radically generous, towel-holding church. That's what we're inviting you into. So we want to load up our people on that church wagon, that church van. Then he says, load up your provisions. Everybody say provisions. Just make sure you're still with me. All right, so this is what's interesting. Um, that word provisions actually does mean food. But if you continue to read into Joshua chapter 5, guess what was showing up on their doorstep every single morning? Manna. Manna would not end until they entered into the promised land and began to eat the produce of the land. So these provisions, they're not food. So what, what's the provisions? I don't know, livestock, animals, tools. It could have been their weaponry because they are going into the enemy territory. But here's what I do know about provisions. They are what they need, not what they want. What do you need for your marriage? What do you need for your life? What do you need for your parenting? What do you need as you deal with cancer? What, what do you need? Not, not what do you want, what do you need? Those are provisions. Now, for the church, Northland, here's what we need. If we're going to seize what God has in front of us, here's what we're going to need. Come in. We're going to need the armor of God. We're going to need the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, shield of faith. We're going to need the helmet of salvation. Now, think about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. See, the shield of faith is, is to protect us from the flaming arrows that Satan wants to shoot at us. And I promise you, I could spend a whole, I mean, again, that's a whole a series of the arrows that Satan shoots at us. But here's what I know, and I coined this a... A long time ago, years ago, the law of gospel motion. So I took Newton's laws of physics and I spiritualized it. The law of gospel motion. Here's what it says. For every gospel action, there is an attempt by the evil one to have an equal and opposite reaction. And see, that's why we're going to need the shield of faith. That's why you're going to need the shield of faith. You're going to need the helmet of salvation to protect your mind so that you can claim truth over your life. But I know this, Northland, as we march towards what God has for us, there's going to be arrows galore. Arrows galore. So make sure you pack the armor of God and then ending with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we need provisions. But then the last but not least, load up your preparedness. Load up your preparedness. In Joshua chapter 3, they're now at the bank of the Jordan River 
And they're getting ready to see God do something amazing. Just as God had parted the Red Sea 40 years earlier, he's getting ready to part the Jordan River. But Joshua, he sends out the message that all of the Israelites need to consecrate themselves. What does that mean, Josh? It means simply set themselves apart, purify their hearts. So if we want to prepare ourselves as we load up and get ready to move into what God has for us, here's four things that I want us as Northlanders to do. Number one, I want us to empty our hearts of sin. Some of you, you again, you've been here 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years. You got some junk in the trunk. Maybe some of you individuals in your marriage, you got some junk in the trunk and you need to empty your heart of sin. Now, here's the thing about emptying your heart of sin. In confession, you're not resaving yourself. You are recommitting yourself. And so when you clean up your heart, what you are doing is that you are attuning your heart towards the centrality of Jesus in your life. This is who I am. I'm confessing. And then here's who you are. I'm confessing and I'm just realigning and recommitting. And that's what, that's what many Northlanders, you need to do today. You need to empty your heart. And, and many individuals, you need to empty your heart so that you can realign yourself to being who God has created you to be. Second, arm your minds to serve. This is where we got we got we got to have this mentality. We got to arm ourselves with this mentality, the same kind of mentality that Jesus had. That that although he was God, he took on the form of a servant. Let me ask you this: Do you realize that if you're going to be part of the people of God, whether it's Northland Church or First Baptist Orlando, and I'm saying that because I had lunch with Pastor David Youth this past week, so it's. So it's a mentality that God's people have that we're here to serve. So we're arming ourselves to serve. Open our hands to surrender. Here, here it is. We're going to open our hands. God, what you want, we'll give. Where you call, we'll go. What you want us to do, we'll do. Who you want us to be, we'll be. Here, here's our hands. We're open. You direct. And then the last is prepare our feet to be sent. Sent to love. Sent to care. Sent to serve. Sent to heal sent to share we want to be people that are sent and so here's what we're going to do i'm about to pray we're going to open up the front as an altar and if you need one on this list or you need all four i'm going to invite you to join me down here of just consecrating ourselves for what god has for us in the future father move on hearts move in lives and may we truly be a people that march towards the good future that you have marked for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.